Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. It's Gina Crash. Welcome to Spotlight on Maryland. For the next half hour or so, I'll be your host along with my guest. I'm really excited to introduce you to... From the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra, the BSO, we've got Allison Burr-Livingstone. She is the Vice President and Chief Advancement Officer. Good morning, Allison. Good morning, Gina. It's so good to have you here. And that sounds like a very fancy title for people who aren't familiar <laughs> with you or what you do. What, what does that mean exactly? What kind of cool job is that? I would like to say that it means that I do a bit of everything and anything. Um, as in, I think, every nonprofit job description, the other duties as assigned should always, I think, be first. Um, but very, very simply, um, I have the pleasure and the privilege of leading a team of dedicated development and fundraising professionals at the BSO who work with all of our supporters, our members, and invite more people to support this amazing organization. Um, I also work uh, with our audience development, with our communications and PR team, so we can be able to get the BSO story and um, all that we do out to a broader audience. Yes, the liaison and then the fact that we're speaking today means that uh, you're doing a great job at that because we're opening up our audience to to yours and hoping, um, you know, we get more and more people supporting the BSO. Um, now, how long have you been with the organization? Well, I came back to the BSO in June of 2019. I would say back because I was actually spent um, several years with the orchestra um, in the early 2010s doing more specific fundraising. So, um, the opportunity to come back to the BSO when they were at a pivotal time, really, in the organization's journey, um, I felt was really important. And it has been a journey um, even before and then certainly since the pandemic. That's true. Um, yeah, you know, that's true because yeah. your timing, um, gosh, just think, it seems like a million years ago, too, thinking about June 2019. But, yeah, the, um, you know, you guys were going through some some budgetary things like, like we all have been, but um, that was pre-pandemic. So, yeah, if you think back to that, um, was the pandemic even more challenging in some ways? And we'll get to that question a little later, but it seems to me like that that's almost even a greater challenge, isn't it? I mean, it certainly has been a challenge. I would say that because of all that the BSO has been through and the fact that we came together in, I think, really extraordinary ways, um, it, it made us stronger and able to pivot all the more quickly when the pandemic uh, first began in March with closures, et cetera. Um, and honestly, you know, because of the journey that we started, despite the pandemic, we've been able to come to a, an amazing, extraordinary five-year collective bargaining agreement with our amazing musicians. I think that's the first five-year agreement in over 20 years for the orchestra. So um, it really has been, you know, a, a journey. And I'd say that again, but I think that the pandemic has enabled us and and charged us to innovate in new ways and also think about how those innovations are really part of the strategic long-term planning 
that we had talked about even before the pandemic and social distancing became a reality. Right. You know, certainly we're going to talk today, technology, access, um, innovation, inclusion, all of those things had been on our mind more internally, but really, you know, since, since March of 2020, the world changed and we've kind of been moving almost even quicker in that direction. Yeah, and those are all important points. Uh, the um, you know the inclusive nature of welcoming more and more people who are able to join online that might not have been able to otherwise, and the stability of the five years of of you know maintaining and um, retaining, I should say, your fantastic talent, your roster, there, the amazing musicians that you have, um, knowing that you're not worried about you know renegotiating every every year. Uh, that's that's huge that you can get onto other matters at hand. And uh, for our listeners who may not be familiar with the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra, um, can you tell us a bit about your organization? Because you really are a gem. We are so, so blessed and so lucky to have you here in Baltimore. Oh, no, thank you so much, Tina. Um, yeah, the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra, we have been a part of Baltimore for more than 100 years. We were actually founded as a part of the municipal, go- municipal government in 1916. Um, so we are actually not only in Baltimore, but I would note that we serve the entire state of Maryland. We're the largest performing arts organization in the state. We also are so privileged and, um, and, and grateful to be able to have a beautiful second home um, at the Music Center at Strathmore in North Bethesda in Montgomery County. We're a founding partner of that beautiful facility. And just as we are eager to get back to performances at the Meyerhoff, our home in Baltimore, we are eager to get back to performances at Strathmore in Montgomery County. Um, so we have been creating beautiful music for more than 100 years, in addition to everything that we do on stage, and particularly under the, um, the leadership of music director Marin Alsop um, for the past 14 years. Um, the importance of education and community, I think, has only become all the more seeded into the BSO's mission. Um, so outreach initiatives we have certainly in Baltimore are amazing and so critically important. ORCHIDS program, um, which is really our most intensive educational initiative where we are in um, 10 Baltimore City public schools, um, you know, really 365 days a year in terms of during school, after school, and a summer program. And then we also have programs like the Midweek Education Concerts, which normally bring, you know, 25,000 young people from across the region to the concert hall for potentially their first experience of a live symphony orchestra. So we really try to um, to have an expansive depth and breadth of programming um, that is as accessible as possible um, in a traditional environment. And obviously now we are we are in the business of pivoting for how we can still deliver that mission albeit mostly virtual for now. Yeah, and pivot was the, I think, one of the words of 2020 and now is still mm-hmm. into 2021. It's so important. And, and I'm so glad you mentioned Orchids and we'll uh, we'll talk about that at greater length too. And also Marin Alsop, who you mentioned, this in being in her uh, final official year, but you're going to be talking about how she's going to be with the BSO for a few more years to come in a very special way too. We have a lot of, it's a very exciting time to be talking to you, in other words. Um, so I'm so mm-hmm. glad that you're taking the time. And um, your BSO sessions, um, I know I I had written on my calendar. I love, I'm a huge fan of Wordsmith, and I'm sure you're going to talk about him, um, mm-hmm. the, the rapper better known as Anthony Parker, um, about how your BSO sessions are different from what other performing arts organizations are doing during this time, because you guys are doing a great job with that. Of course. No, thank you, Gina. BSO sessions is, um, I think, really our flagship um, concert series right now. It's really, it's, it's our only digital concert series in full sense. We have many other amazing things that we'll talk about today. But sessions is really our, our core musical output um, during this time. Um, it's our weekly docu series. Um, it is 
a little bit different than I think what other organizations, particularly what other orchestras are doing, because it not only has amazing music, but it really pairs that powerful music with real stories. So it provides a unique look inside one of the world's premier orchestras. And in addition to performance, it's unique interviews, it's conversations, it's documentary content that follows musicians, conductors, composers that that are putting that music together. Um, we are partnering with Maryland-based uh, Early Light Media to help capture and curate that content, um, and, and that has been a tremendously exciting journey. Um, so we're not only calling on our own internal expertise, but again, we're leveraging the power of partnerships, which is really a big um, big part of how the BSO is taking their approach to pivoting in response to COVID. Um, so in addition to the type of content, I would note that what we're really excited about with Sessions is the opportunity to, um, to showcase things that people might not normally associate um, with a, a, an orchestral concert at the Meyerhoff. Um, for example, we're using smaller, you know, socially distant, distanced ensembles. Um, that's a reality of what we're having to deal with right now in terms of being extra responsible. Um, in response to the to the pandemic, um, but as such, we're actually able to perform repertoire that we wouldn't usually. Um, we've also been able to elevate traditionally unheard voices in the classical music industry. Um, for example, we just released earlier in January "Forgotten Voices," which features Black composers with works from Jason George, contemporary of Mozart, Scott Joplin, Hannah Kendall, and other gifted living composers. Um, it really talks about, and I think was a perfect example of what all of Sessions does, which is trying to bridge a gap between untold histories and contemporary classical works. That's very important. And then how can people watch? Because you're actually, um, it's sort of fundraising in the same way, right? Because you can subscribe to um, episodes or there's also a monthly access plan from what I understand. So how can we, um, for anybody listening to this program this morning, how can they watch these BSO sessions and help, therefore, you know, supporting at the same time the BSO? Oh, of course. Um, everything uh, that we are doing virtually is available on our new uh, dedicated virtual platform, which is BSO Offstage. So you can visit bsomusic.org forward slash offstage, um, and everything for Sessions is there. Um, sessions episodes release every Wednesday at 8 p.m., um, and then they are available for you to view as many times as you would like and excitedly for really as long as you would like, because every Sessions episode, once it premieres, is available through June, um, which is actually pretty unique in the big picture of the classical music industry right now. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you're right, Gina, episodes are available for $10 on a pay-per-view, or you can also purchase a $20 monthly all-access plan, which is kind of like your Netflix approach, where um, you can then you know view content as soon as it becomes available. Um, I would also note Offstage is also home to lots of other free content. You do have to register, so enter your email address, um, but there's a myriad of other things that are there for free, including our midweek education concerts and our virtual pivot in, in the education space. Wow, and you know what? That would make a great gift for an arts lover, wouldn't it? It would indeed. <laughs> I'm writing that down. Uh, dear Santa. Um, yes. So even though we, we've passed the holidays, but uh, I think that's a great gift really for anyone or just for anyone that wants to support the BSO. And I know another huge topic we're going to be talking about um, for the next several minutes is how the BSO has been working on increasing diversity within the organization, which is so, so important. Mm -hmm. No, of course. 
Um, and, and let me start by saying, obviously, a holistic commitment in this regard requires a multi-pronged approach and also recognition, really, that the BSO and certainly the orchestral field did not get to a place of racial and gender imbalance overnight. You know, it's going to take time to realize change, but we're committed, committed to doing so. Um, we're doing a couple of things. First and foremost, we're investing in learning and training. Um, we're, we're really engaging others to help build the capacity of the BSO to foster increased diversity, equity, inclusion with a focus on racial justice. Um, we have, have, have contracted, um, you know, thought leaders in this, in this work um, who are helping to lead facilitated sessions for all of the stakeholders within the BSO family, um, the board, musicians, staff, um, starting committees on staff, as well as bringing in, um, you know, uh, more volunteer leaders to, to help us in that regard. Um, as part of that, we kind of recognize an opportunity to even build a, broad, a more diverse and more talented administrative team and board that better represents the community. So we're really doing a lot of work actually at the board table, as so many nonprofits do, in terms of what are the skills and talents that we need to help us implement our new strategic plan that's aligned with this amazing five-year contract, and how can we do so with a much more intentional mindset of inclusion and diversity. Um, we're actually also, I would say that despite the challenges of the pandemic, obviously like so many organizations, we're, we're taking shared sacrifices internally. You know, we have a hiring freeze holistically. We're trying to be really cost conscious in this environment, but we did feel like it was incredibly important for us to move forward with this work, that we could not not move forward with creating and hiring a new vice president of HR and inclusion. Um, really recognizing the importance of accountability, thought leadership, and dedicated investment within our own family. So that is moving forward. We're going to be welcoming that new team member, um, and might I think we'll have by the by the time that that we finish this conversation. Um, so it's it's really an exciting time to be thinking about the internal culture in the family, the BSO, and that's just one piece of it. Um, as I mentioned, with sessions, you know. Our platform and our voice that the BSO has to leverage in terms of the music we create and produce is incredibly powerful. And another thing that we are committed to doing is pursuing increasingly diverse programming on our stages and in collaboration with our communities. Um, Sessions is one piece of that. Um, I'm very excited to share. You mentioned uh, Wordsmith, uh, who is one of our new artistic partners, um, and he is actively collaborating in artistic and educational programs for this season. We also brought on, to start this year, a new assistant conductor, Jonathan Rush, who has been instrumental to that virtual series. And the importance about these two positions is that these amazingly talented um, individuals are not only bringing greater diversity to the programming, but they're also bringing a mindset of representation and intentionality to the artistic planning table, um, which I think is, is something that has not happened in a long time. Um, and it's, it's definitely a pivot shift. Yeah, um, and it, it's great because I've—I mean, it got my eye and attention. And also, um, you know, your new assistant conductor is also, if I'm not mistaken, been—you know—very active on Instagram. Like, he'll take over the story for the BSO, yeah. you know, and kind of follow along his day. And I think seeing him and then inspiring other people that you know, might see him doing that in that role. And it's like, oh, wow, I could do that. You know, imagining for the, you know, the uh, young people in Baltimore being able to aspire to that level. It's, it's, it's really cool um, to see. And, yeah. and uh, so I really applaud you for those efforts. And it's like, I feel like what you all are doing could sort of be a model for other organizations. Do you agree that um, are, are trying to be more diverse and more inclusive in a way that you go about doing that, you know, still within the confines of, of you know, budgetary thoughts and, 
everybody tightening their belt right now, but it's still such an important thing to do that I think the way that you're doing it is something that a lot of uh, people can look to as a sort of a model. Yeah, thank, thank you so much, Gina. We, 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 we know that we have so much work that we still have to do. Obviously, um, one of the things that our five-year contract did, did allow us to have more conversations about is actually working with our musicians in terms of how do we increase the diversity within our own orchestra complement, um, talking about the audition process, um, how do we curate fellowships that have, you know, a meaningful track for, for employment as well as that are cohort-based? You know, those are conversations that are all forthcoming. You know, some of those things we're in, we, we are not having active auditions for the orchestra right now in the context of the pandemic, but we can take this time to be prepared for when that part of our world comes back to reality, that we are approaching it in a different way. We've gone through a thorough evaluation, and again, we've worked with the power of partners um, Sphinx is an organization that is really the the leader for all all things related to diversity and inclusion um, with the orchestral field, and we'll be working with and have been partnering with them. Um, but but I'm so so glad that that you know of obviously Wordsmith and Jonathan. Yes, so active and such great partners, and to the point of the the power of seeing yourself represented on stage. You know, both of those partners are actively leading our virtual education content right now. So our midweek concerts, BGE broadcasts, again, the power of partners are helping us to make all this programming possible. Um, you know, Wordsmith, for example, is going to be um, bringing narration um, to, to that educational series, um, and that will be starting to premiere. We've got two other episodes of that that will be available this spring. There are already two performances that are available on offstage, and I would just I can't go talking about that program without noting that is now completely free and available to all teachers, students, and parents across the state and beyond. What a great resource! Wow, and how can, and they can just get that right online? Yeah, right on offstage. So when you go onto the website, you can kind of toggle down for content, and it's you can choose sessions or you can go right to midweeks. Um, and the other great thing about midweeks is that each of those programs has um, interactive lesson plans and activities that are really geared for kind of upper elementary, um, but they're they're, that's content that's been curated by Maryland music educators, certainly with a mindset of how do music teachers teach music mm-hmm. to elementary and middle school students virtually, um, but it's also something that is, is meant to be as easy as possible for anyone who is serving in the role of teacher these days, which is so many parents out there, um, that they can call on these resources to, to not only provide just something to do, but something that's curriculum connected, that's interactive, that's, that's fun. Um, and that pairs with the music and the, the conversations that are part of those 30-minute midweek broadcast programs. Wow, so much going on. And um, also in increasing uh, voices, I know you're doing a lot also to f- to feature female composers as well, right? Women in, in the uh, music world. We are, we are. Um, and that certainly has been uh, an important missive of Marin Alsop throughout her tenure. Um, this 2019-20 season that just ended and obviously was interrupted by the pandemic was really all about kind of the year of the woman um, in many ways. And we had a tremendous, um, you know, showcasing of women composers, women conductors, women guest artists. Um, That also has continued in sessions. I think it's something like um, there are 12 episodes of sessions that are currently available through January, um, classical sessions, and 74% of those programs feature either, you know, black, indigenous, persons of color, or women composers. Um, so, again, the, the mindset of voice and inclusion is so important to sessions, 
and will be so important to all of the active planning that the BSO is continuing to do for seasons ahead, knowing that the pandemic will end, we will get back eventually to the important experience of the live, live shared experience of music making and music music enjoyment. Yep. As soon as we get that green light that we can all return yeah. to normal, right? <laughs> as yep. we, but as we await that, though, in the meantime, um, how else has the BSO been adapting during the pandemic? So it really has, has, has you know, touched everything that we do. Um, you know, in addition to the midweek concerts, I would note that ORCIDS, again, is a program that I think has really um, been a leader among many education programs in its pivot. Um, within, you know, days, if not a few weeks, of the state of emergency originally being declared, they had already gotten, you know, a platform and teachers, you know, prepared to be able to continue providing virtual lessons and mentorship to students. Um, there's over, over 2,000 students and kids this year. Um, and I would just note that that has continued. Um, and I think this stat kind of speaks for itself. You know, they had an 87% virtual attendance rate for this fall. And when you think about the challenge of virtual attendance that is happening on a broader school system level with virtual classrooms, I think that speaks to, you know, the fabric that ORCIDS has created um, and how they are really able to keep, you know, their students and then their students' families connected and supported. Wow, that's huge. And you know what? You're one of the first groups that I thought of when uh, I, w- I was so happy to hear that ORCIDS is still, you know, thriving and, and adapting and wasn't something that was like, a, you know, that was impacted in, in a way that it wasn't functioning anymore. But it totally is. Um, and that's awesome. That's good news. That's one of my favorite, yeah. favorite projects. No, thank you. And, you know, that's, it's been it hasn't been without its struggles. But, you know, again, I really applaud the ORCIDS team that they actually not only continued the, continued the content, but they actually got technology into the hands of their students. So particularly by the summer, I think they'd had the offer of every ORCID if they needed a, a, a Google Chromebook or a hotspot to be able to ensure that they could fully participate in and take advantage of Great. The, the summer program as well as then keep looking into this past fall. Um, so that's been really important. Other things that we've been doing is really, again, creating, co- creating content that engages audiences in new ways. Um, so you know, I, I have to talk about kind of our donors. You know, we've been reaching out to our donors where they are through a number of virtual or personalized events. You know, part of what I'm so proud of my team is that they have come up with ways to create things that you can touch, taste, see, feel at home while you're enjoying BSO sessions. For example, we do, you know, virtual happy hours and wine tastings with sommeliers, and we, I think we've become in the business of, of delivering to every you know jurisdiction in the region, um, I have teams who, who who I think spend a lot of the time doing drop-offs. But it's been really fun, and it's again creating that sense of community that is so important, particularly to those who support the BSO and are so used to coming to a concert, right, and seeing their friends that they that they also see at concerts with regularity. How we can create those connections, albeit over a Zoom screen for now. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, you know, so that's something that's ongoing, and we're always trying to think differently and think out of the box. I see so much that of that that content so cool because we're still gathering. It's just in a different way, mm-hmm. but that's so cool that you're still keeping that up. And um, and you know their love of music is is still the same. That that never stopped. Um, and the way that you're making it accessible, um, not only for for the donors and supporters, but also you know the youth too through or kids. Um, mm-hmm. And um, so now the big question, and we got I got the five minute warning to us. So we have like eight, yeah. eight million things to talk about in five minutes. But um, when do you think you could safely reopen for visitors? I'm sure this is something you talk about a lot. And why is it so important to support the BSO now more than ever? 
it is the million dollar question. <laughs> That's why I saved um, it for and, the and, final and five. <laughs> and, and it is certainly the, the topic of so of conversation and obviously thinking about so many different scenarios, right, for when that's going to happen and how that will look. Um, we don't know for sure. Obviously, this is a time we would normally be gearing up for a new season announcement. Obviously, the pandemic has shifted that timeline, but exciting planning is still underway. And we are hopeful for a return to the concert hall, certainly for the full orchestra and at least some audiences by September. Um, but again, you know, we, we also know that that normal might be a new normal, right? It might look a little bit different. So what we're focused on doing is doing the artistic planning to make sure that we are poised and ready when it can happen. Um, also working on acquiring, you know, kind of the gold star, good housekeeping, seal of approval standards for venues when it comes to protocols for cleaning, disinfection, infectious disease prevention. Um, so how we can ensure that, you know, that we're, we're ready to meet patrons when they're coming back. Um, and I think the other important thing to note is that digital accessibility is going to be a constant. You know, we've invested in the cameras. We have perfected kind of this new skill <laughs> in yeah. many ways. Yeah, you and, have. And that's not something that's just going to go away. Um, I think the option then that people will always be able to kind of experience the hybrid, right, of in-person as well as online is something that is going to be an entirely new new view for us moving forward. Yeah, that's a positive from the pandemic for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I would say, you know, until that time, and I think the important thing to note is that even when our concert halls are at full capacity, earned revenues from ticket sales, subscriptions, that accounts for just 35% of our annual operating revenue. So it really is the generous support of our community of friends and members, you know, corporate partners, foundations, government partners that make all the difference. And I think really this year in response to COVID, again, we've taken those internal sacrifices, we're tightening expenses, and all of that is to ensure that we can continue to provide meaningful, uplifting, educational, connective, all those, you know, those descriptive words that you can use, it's the power of music. And I think that, that these times have reiterated to those who already know and to many people who didn't think about it before that music and arts really matter. They really um, do. Yeah. Is the easiest so. way for people to support that besides going to bsomusic.org slash offstage and participating in um, your BSO sessions and purchasing them that way, whether they be one by one or, or monthly? Is there also a section on bsomusic.org, your website, where people can just donate in, in any way they can? Yep. There's a whole section on giving. You can go um, bsomusic.org forward slash donate. You kind of gave the hyperlink right there. Um, and you can make a one-off gift. Um, you can do recurring monthly charges. Super easy. Um, and also, what we are excited to do is, again, to provide access and, and, and exclusive, you know, experiences for those members of our community that do support the DSO because it's so important. And, again, it's really – it has always been our lifeblood now more than ever. Yeah, for sure. And what else do you have in the last couple of minutes we got real quick here? Um, some other exciting things coming up with the BSO right now. So I would just note we've got um, new sessions, episodes that are premiering regularly, you know, on the eve of, of Valentine's Day. We do have a really special – uh, BSO Sessions episode dedicated uh, to Love Letters, um, which is going to be premiering on February 10th, and then it gets, again, available all month long. Um, I would also note, you mentioned at the top, you know, we've this is the last official year of music director Marin Alsop's tenureship as music director. She will be transitioning into an amazing new music director laureate role, which means that everyone will still get to see uh, Marin on the podium um, for many years to come, as well as her continued collaboration with ORCID. Um, but we have kicked off a retrospective of Marin's amazing 14-year history on social media. We started that with the new year. So every Monday, you can look on the BSO social media pages for a hashtag Marin Milestone. 
Um, and we're going to be building on that with exciting virtual programming, all leading up to our annual gala, which is in June. We will be um, having the uh, superstar operatic vocalist Renee Fleming joining with us. So, again, we're kind of waiting to see what's wow. going to happen with exactly how we can bring people together by June, hoping it will be a different reality, but we're, we're doing it, and there's going to be exciting, amazing music, as well as music that I think gives the appropriate, um, you know, applause and showcasing of all that Marin has done for the orchestra and for our community. Absolutely. For the last 14 years. Wow. And then Renee Fleming, that's huge. Um, well, that is so great. Um, thank you. So please, you know, we'll have you on again, um, you know, as we get closer to, uh, you know, reopening the world here. Oh, my gosh, there's so much more we could talk about, too. But I want to thank you so much for your time this morning, Allison. No, thank, you. thank you so much, Gina. Could I give one last free hotline number? Because yes, please. It's brand new for us. And I would say that even if going on to sessions, you can't remember to do it just yet. You can always remember to give us a call because we have a new daily music hotline that you can call into daily for a minute of music and a message from a BSM musician. It's 410-783-8108 or toll free at 888-237-5558. So that. That's my last plug. That's important. BSO to you, even by a rotary phone. Excellent. And I'm sure that's on bsomusic.org. And you guys, I know, are on Instagram, uh, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, you name it. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll find you. Um, thank you so much again. Uh, Allison Burr Livingstone has been my guest this morning, Vice President and Chief Advancement Officer at the BSO, the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra, our treasure right here in town. Thank you so much again, you guys. And thanks for listening. This has been a production of Entercom Baltimore.